Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Boom. We are back. Focus Compounding Podcast. Andrew Kuhn sitting alongside Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going over there? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Um, if you are on Twitter, you should be following me at Focus Compound. And if you like receiving memos from Jeffrey, go to focuscompounding.com and on the homepage, enter in your email. And that will put you on our list to get a bunch of free content from us. Also, if you do like free content, there is a free section on our website that you can check out. All you need to input is your email, and then uh, that will allow you to have access to a bunch of free content. And free is good. Yeah, you uh, you get a weekly uh, series of write-ups on specific stocks. That's basically. right. Well, you get the first thousand words of each write-up. And even better, if you want to become a premium member... Then you get the whole write-up. Yeah. Sign up. Focus Compounding. Use the podcast promo code, which is podcast. That'll take $10 off of the price. It brings it from 60 to 50 and then you'll get access to a bunch of Jeff's writings and other people's as well. So um, today we're going to be going over some um, more questions. We're just getting tons of questions flooded in with us and... I think it's good, like I always say, because it allows us to sort of talk about what's on our listeners' minds. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do that. So the first question says, if you had to make a list, and this is from someone named Liam, he said, if you had to make a list, what are your favorite financial slash psychology books, which positively impacted your investment decisions? Hmm. Okay. So I got one actually yeah. sitting right here. Right? Yeah. You just asked me, and this is... You ever heard of this book? It's called The Essays of Warren Buffett. Less is for Corporate America. You ever, okay. you ever heard of that? I have, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you have. That's a great book. Yeah, that is um, I, I, I would say, um, yeah, obviously, a bunch of all of Warren's writings are good to read, even mm-hmm. going back in like the old partnership days. Yeah, that's um, Those are, are incredible. And then, obviously, all the Berkshire letters are great. What I have on my computer is I have them all compiled together in one PDF. Mm-hmm. And then you just control F, and you could search through like a bunch of like whatever topic you want mm-hmm. and you could like just type in for example intrinsic value and then you'll just you know kind of get uh to filter through a bunch of you know things that he's talked about intrinsic value but no i would say that's probably a good book that a lot of people could benefit from it's one of the books that i think everybody should reread every single year mm-hmm. um and then the other book i would say for me is poor charlie Salmanac. okay yeah that's, that's a great one. book on not so much investing. I mean, there's investing stuff in there, but I think it's more on like how to think about life and how to approach right or life, um, you know, and the mental models and everything, but, and which obviously covers a lot of the psychology part of investing and just kind of going at it every single day. Yeah. I would say, uh, there's a huge number of things that are sort of like, uh, about Buffett. There's like a whole industry and that sort of thing. And I'll just mention two books that I think are surprisingly good. I don't agree with everything in them, but uh, I don't know how much they really tell you about Buffett's actual approach that specifically, but they have interesting sort of strategies that you could learn from. And so one is uh, Buffettology, the original one. It's a good book. That's good. And just in like showing you how to invest in a business based on looking at what you think will be earning in 10 years, which is a really good exercise. So that's good. And I think it's the Warren Buffett way. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Hagstrom. Hagstrom, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. So he also did Warren Buffett Portfolio or something like I that. I really like yeah. that book because 
that was kind of one of the only books I think I'm sure there's other out there, but that I've read where he actually went back and valued the businesses mm -hmm. at the time that Warren was purchasing them. So I guess it kind of like was just a good case study yeah. in a way on like all these different companies. But no, I agree with you. I thought that was good. Yeah. In terms of what actually I think um, had an effect on my investing and stuff, uh, the, the ones for me that did were um, security analysis. Uh, you can be a stock market genius. And um, also Phil Fisher's security analysis was so boring to me. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I obviously I like the Phil Fisher's books. Yeah. Um, you could be a stock market genius, which everyone listening that knows us knows that we love that book. But yeah, security analysis was so boring to did, me. Did you read The Intelligent Investor? I did. Yeah. Was that better or still? Same? I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I yeah. read it because you have to, but yeah. I didn't particularly like. It wasn't like, wow, I can't put this book down. Oh. It was like, wow, I, I want to, but I'm going to continue plowing through so oh. I can put this book down and be done. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people. For me, The Intelligent Investor and Security Analysis. I read Security Analysis first, The Intelligent Investor second. Um, one weekend when I was like 16, I read those two. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, I couldn't put it down, Security Analysis. Really? I thought it was a great book. Two types of people. <laughs> and uh, and it, you know, I don't know if it's the most helpful to most people. Yeah. Um, that's part of the, the problem is that... Uh, I think you can be a stock market genius would probably be the one that would be most helpful to people. But actually, I think, uh, you know, it's not like the writers are great that wrote the book or anything. And um, it's a little simplistic and stuff. But really, if someone who doesn't know anything about Warren Buffett or something did read Buffettology, I think, it really does reinforce the actual investments that he's made these last, yeah. like, 40 years or so. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily what he did in the partnership years. But from, you know, Washington Post on, um, it really covers the kind of thing that he does. And really um, brings home the idea that he's investing things where he's valuing it based on what it'll be in 10 years. Sure. And that means that like 90% of the stocks out there, he can't really value, you know, because he can't look ahead those 10 years. Um, and it's good at just like showing that you need that past consistency in earnings and things like that. Although I believe, if I remember security analysis correctly, it also has something like that where Graham talks about um, – earning power and the central tendency of the earnings. And he shows that you don't just take a past average of the last 10 years and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, security analysis, I think is the most, uh, has the most in it is the most interesting yeah. for you to dissect yourself. I also like, um, biographies mm -hmm. as well. And just books on business in general, right. Yeah. Even though it's not exactly an investing book, but like, uh, the Airbnb story I thought was pretty, I like just reading how like businesses came to be. And, and obviously you could apply mm -hmm. that to investing and it all is interrelated in one way. Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf over there, quality earning, quality of earnings, financial yeah, shenanigans. Those were, those were good books. Um, but yeah. And what about you for like, I guess this, the psychological side of things. Psychological. Because um, I always talk yeah. about that stuff. And about I think that interests me yeah. a lot more than interests you. And that might be true. Yeah. Um, yeah, have you, I mean, are there any books on that side that you enjoy or yeah, that well, you've read? Well, Charlie Munger has mentioned, um, what is it, Influence a lot. Yep. yep. Yeah, and and that author came out with uh, another book uh, after that, pretty recently, right? Was that Persuasion, Persuasion? What was that? Oh, I, I'm not sure, actually. Oh, yeah, I, he, that, yeah. I think it's called Persuasion. He has a book that's more recent than that. Um, a lot of people have read that um, and kind of... Uh, yeah, I mean, I can think of a lot of behavioral finance type things that I've read. Um, some are pretty good. I think I kind of prefer the ones like um, that. The ones that I like a lot that a lot of people don't like are books like uh, John Neff wrote a book about the investments that he made in sort of a, almost a journal of um, the kind of investments he made as a mutual fund manager. Um, There's always something to do is one that I liked a lot that way because they're just really good in combining people's actual investment decisions with like the emotional aspects of it and stuff of like, well, we were buying this when everyone else hated it and this is why and that sort of thing. 
Um, you mentioned something about the biographies, which I forgot to mention, which is uh, maybe even more than things like security analysis. I would mm-hmm. recommend there's a couple chapters in the snowball. That's my favorite book for sure. Yeah. And there's a certain section of it, which I highly recommend, which is basically the section from the time that Buffett goes to um, Columbia to learn from Graham to the time when he actually takes over Berkshire, mm-hmm. the in-between time. There. No, his that's partnership right. yeah. years and, I love and his part. personal investment part. And that has a lot of information that isn't really in a lot of other places sort of almost like case studies that's really good yeah no I, I would completely agree with you on that that's i've actually have that on my audible and i've listened to it probably like four times yeah. every time i need some inspiration i just go back <laughs> and listen to the early partnership days yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's the best part for people to learn from for the investing thing i mean that yeah. book is much more than that almost half that book is is not investing stuff yeah. i'd say yeah. but yeah no I, I would definitely agree with that so i think actually a good segue um, as I talk about inspiration, as you were talking about uh, the two books that you read when you were 16, mm-hmm. somebody asked us a question and said, I would be interested if you guys could talk a little bit about the path that you each took to get to this place in your careers. And he said, managing accounts yourselves. And one piece of advice you'd give to someone who hopes to be in your position in five years. Okay. Um, the one piece of advice that I would give is um, to, uh, well, the the, the I, the one piece of advice, I guess, although most people probably already be doing this, is you have to invest all your money yourself mm-hmm. uh, now. You can't like learn now and then you're going to invest late or something. I, that, that's a weird thing to say, but a lot of people email me and stuff that they want to get there, um, but they're not doing that part of it yet. They're just reading a lot of books and learning and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you can't do that. So. That was so, uh, that was a little hole I fell into. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And I think if you can, I guess for me, if I had to give any sort of advice is I'm pretty sure, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's going to make you feel good, but no one would be listening to me right now if like you and I weren't partners or, or that you and I didn't meet. So if you could find mm-hmm. someone that, um, you know, it could be like a good mentor towards you or someone you could learn from, because mm-hmm. obviously I've learned so much from you, that is great. And obviously we'll speed up the process as well. Um, what else? Um, well, in terms of personal, uh, how, how we got there and stuff and, and that sort of thing, um, uh, I've said many times before I got involved in investing when I was like 14. I read a lot of things probably around 16 or something. And then yeah. I dropped out of college around 19, I guess, and um, started blogging and doing a podcast and things like that. Yeah. Um, you were the OG when it came to investing online. <laughs> investing online. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the the most important thing is to – I mean – the most important thing is to be doing the work yourself, which means that you're looking for, I mean, we, in the, with the accounts that we manage, we specifically look for overlooked stocks. But even if that wasn't the case, that's really what you need to be doing is, um, to a certain extent, tuning out uh, the market and what people are talking about and things like that, and just going off and studying some particular company. Now, if you want that company to be Facebook, that's fine, but you have to go and kind of go into seclusion and come up with your own ideas about Facebook for a while. Um, I, I would yeah. I would say at like specializing is mm-hmm. great. Like if you want to be the best restaurant investor there is, like yeah. go learn about every single restaurant that there is and become like that's your niche, right? right Ours just happens to be overlooked stocks, right? Mm-hmm. Where we f- spend a lot of our time in. But like whatever interests you, whether it's I don't know oil or technology or mm-hmm. or software or consumer, whatever it is, just own that space where you're just very familiar with it, and um, you know just kind of stick in there. You know, kind of like the Tom Watson. Yeah, just be very smart in a couple or in a, a small area. Yeah, you know, and be the best at it. Yeah, that's definitely true, and it's just something that becomes a a habit of what you're doing of looking at stocks all the time. I mean, the thing I guess that's hard to um, explain about 
what's successful and what isn't successful in in terms of my own investments is that the, the thing that's always really hard to get across to people is that the best investments took five minutes to decide on. And that makes people think like it's not a lot of work or something, but you're spending all this time on all these things that aren't five minute decisions yeah, and that's just, preparing you for the time when you find something that is so obvious. You're just way. taking pitch after pitch after yeah. pitch until something does come and then you're able to sort of seize it. Yeah. You and you're learning so much about these companies. So you spend a huge amount of time um, reading about possibilities and then not doing anything. And mm-hmm. then once in a while you do something and that's the tough part about it. Um, that way because you know it's hard to distinguish that from from luck or something in yeah. terms of like how did were you lucky that you found this one idea or whatever mm-hmm. um you know in terms of like your career and things like that um i wrote a lot of things online if you can write then definitely do that if you can't then get someone to you know do a podcast with or something like that i mean do something where it's uh where you can get discussing things with other people and bring other people into that conversation through email and stuff mm-hmm. with them, meet other people that way. There are probably some ways to do it offline too. And there's, there's so many ways I would say to connect with people because of like the internet, whether that's Twitter or email or your blog. I mean, if you, my advice would be to him cause he asked if he wants to do that in five years, right? right. Start to build a brand, if you will, or just yourself in a way where mm-hmm. to the point where you have a following and people are reading your material and stuff. And you could do that by Twitter, right? So if yeah. you have a blog, push it out through Twitter, connect with people mm-hmm. and, um, you know, let the network effects take off and then, um, you know, start a podcast. I mean, do, yeah. just do whatever really to get your name out there. Yeah. I'd say today Twitter is what blogs were when I started out. Yeah. Um, you know, that makes a lot of sense to do it on Twitter, but what you're going to have to do is come up with your own investing ideas and then share them with other people basically if you yeah. want to, to get people to um you know want to hire you and stuff I, I know a few people who started writing blogs and stuff and um well they're mostly working as analysts now not portfolio managers but still you know that that's how they got into that um business and things like that mm-hmm. cool um best resource on asset valuation uh, i'm gonna say I don't have any idea on that one <laughs> do you have any idea i mean it best resource like i guess yeah. like if like a theoretical thing i mean there's a couple books i mean the valuation books by mckin uh, yeah what is that i'm looking over there does mckinsey have one yeah i think sense. it's yeah. something yeah i think it's them um that's a good book um other than that i think it's just really you know reading case studies on value investors club go yeah. to value investors club you could look at best performers and you could filter through on that and just read past case studies of stocks that worked out or even ones that didn't work out yeah, the one that I probably rely on the most is um, when one company takes over another company. So, like, because uh, it lays out the valuation or yeah, what? And yeah, and the SEC, there'll be a fairness opinion put in there, and the fairness opinion will use comparable transactions um, for total acquisitions of companies and also what they trade in and stuff, and I use that all the time. So mm-hmm. that'll be post-merger stuff, um, or it'll be post the announcement of the merger. It, it'll... It may very well be filed after the merger, actually, but um, that it will have all the details and stuff in it. But if you know that a company is going to be bought out or something, so let's say, um, you know, keep using big examples of companies and stuff, you're following like Occidental, Anadarko stuff and things like that. Well, if that deal ever closes, whoever uh, buys them, um, there will eventually uh, be something put out by the company that's acquired. And that will have a fairness opinion and things like that after they recommend the board recommends that their shareholders approve it and things like that. They'll hire someone. Um, and, you know, Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or whatever will put out this uh, opinion saying why shareholders should vote for it. And um, that will include all the sorts of, uh, you know, past oil deals and stuff of comparable companies the last 10 years or so. And they'll use that sort of thing for their fairness opinion. So, you know, I'd recommend that. Mm. 
I'd agree with that. I was taking a sip of my Diet Coke. Okay. Um, so this one guy, he, he's been commenting on, he's been tweeting me a bunch. Okay. And he, whatever I tweet, he says, he, he always says, yeah, but have you heard of Beyond Meat? Like that new <laughs> okay. cover that came. So, yes, I have heard of Beyond Meat. So, <laughs> I, uh, so I tweeted, you know, call for questions or whatever. And he tweeted me, he's like, do I even have to say it? And then I said, yes. And he said, have you ever heard of Beyond Meat? And when can clients expect to see um, uh, BYND shares in their accounts? <laughs> The fact that he's asking us probably means it's not an overlooked stock, so never. Yeah, it's, it's actually in the uh, recently Buffett and I did think Mung- it was funny, though. Uh, Munger were taking um, questions, and they, I think they said that, uh, was it probably the, uh, was it, I forget if it was Uber or Lyft, the IPO that they were asking about, uh-huh. but they said, you know, it's not a decision on the company, really, it's just we don't buy any IPOs. Yeah. Uh, I've never bought an IPO, um, and uh, I don't know, well, I, it is interesting to follow IPOs, and... Um, a lot of them, the stranger they get, the more it tells you about the kind of market that we're in and stuff yeah, like that. So. Sure. That's funny. What are the strongest moats you see in today's economy? And a few examples on companies would be appreciated. Yeah, this is probably one of the most common questions people ask that are it's a little difficult to answer. Um, I can tell you, so years ago I wrote up a bunch of stocks that I thought – uh, I was working Guru Focus at the time, and, and I thought that uh, it was a computer screen, so I had to take things off the screen. Um, I didn't have the choice of being able to pick things myself. Uh, so I thought almost all the stocks on the screen were pretty expensive, so I wouldn't really recommend them to people. So what I did is I just picked the companies I thought had the widest moats. Mm-hmm. And so that's going back to, I don't remember if it was 2012 or, or sometime around then. And um, the stocks I picked, I think, were like Copart, Waters, Exponent um, and Ball, and actually Ball was written up recently on our site. Um, so, just in terms of companies, I'd say those are four that have some of the the highest, uh, the widest moats um, now. And there's different reasons for it in each case. You can find a lot of companies like that, um, and I'm sure there's economic theory that explain why those companies have wide moats. But um, there's how to, the thing with moats is. Um, what you really want to look for is something where the there's a relationship with a customer. Um, sometimes it's a formal relationship. Sometimes it's that they drink Coke every day. And so that frequency becomes the same thing as a formal relationship. And there's a fear the customer has, an uncertainty, about going with anyone else. And that's what you want. So what doesn't have a moat is a uh, washing machine. So you're talking about like brands? It can be brands, like but it doesn't have to be brands. Uh, so... Uh, we own a stock, Computer Services. Um, computer Services is in core processing. I was right. actually thinking Computer Services when I Were read you? the question. Okay. Yeah, I was. So they're in com- so, well, I mean, here, to be honest, we don't want to get into all the stocks we own and don't own and stuff, but here's the deal. We own, um, there's one stock in the managed accounts, which is a pure commodity company. No moat or anything. Uh, all of the others, I assume, have moats. Otherwise, I wouldn't buy them. Mm-hmm. Generally, I want to buy companies with moats in the sense of the, in, you know, in the Buffettology sense of I want to be able to, when I value a company, generally I'm buying it with what would it, what would be the return if I held it for 10 years? Yep. That's what I'm looking at. We don't tend to hold them for 10 years, but that's how I'm looking at them. So, um, so we have, but we have three companies that have, you know, moats in my view. Uh, and those companies tend to have a few things in common. One, they have between 90 and 100% customer retention. Uh, two, they don't lower their price each year. So their price might stay the same. It might increase. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, and for many of these companies, they price it off of volume. So volume can go down in a given year. But what they don't do is tell you that the thing they were charging you a dollar for last year, a dollar a pound or whatever, is now 90 cents a pound. That doesn't happen. And they tend not to lose their customers. 
So they invest a lot in specific customers and those relationships, and they have very high retention rates. So anyway, computer services, um, if you go read American Banker, they had a couple articles about computer services at times and core processors generally. And one quote that stood out, um, which is just sort of in general what a lot of people say about uh, the industry, is they said uh, that switching core processors is like having open heart surgery in the perspective of the bank yeah. that's doing it. And they don't want to do it. And um, that's an advantage. Uh, that's one reason why Buffett bought IBM, which didn't turn out well for him. But he thought that people wouldn't switch away from IBM. They'd be afraid these big giant corporations to use another um, company for the, of their IT stuff. So, you know, we that's the reason. So what I was going to say about the moat thing is uh, an example of a, an industry in which it's hard to have a moat would be washing machines. Mm-hmm. Because the problem with it is most people, they might be right, they might not be wrong, but most people who own a Whirlpool washing machine believe that LG is good enough that they're not going to regret buying it. They're not really afraid of that possibility. The same thing as in flat screen TVs or something. I might think Sony is better than Samsung, but I'm not terribly afraid that one of them is going to fall apart tomorrow. Sure. And the other one's going to last me for 10 years. When we get into other kinds of things, that is what happens. And so um, people are very, you know, economists talk about switching costs, but that's not really it. What you need to look for is situations in which someone would be afraid of switching to some newcomer just because there's a lower price or something. I mean, the company I've said many times I think has the widest mode is BWX Technologies, which makes nuclear reactors for the Navy. And um, has long-term contracts. Has long-term contracts and stuff. But also just in general, if we, if we start up a new business to build a nuclear reactor for the Navy and we said that we can do it for less than BWX does, there would be a lot of um, doubt about that. They just supplying a lower price to someone that they've never used before means that they're a lot less likely to do that. Sure. Now, the government buys a lot of um, all sorts of little supplies and things by just buying from whoever uh, is on their approved vendor list that has the, the lowest bid. Uh, that's not what that industry is. So there are concerns about that. So, you know, engineering companies have that. Anything where there's a great deal of concern about switching to someone else. And even to the point of irrational fear about switching to someone else. Um, you know, if you and that can be brands. If you like a particular brand, then why switch it up to something else? Sure. Um, I think it's better to look at it from that negative perspective of whether you would trust someone else. Right? So a lot of times it is trust and things like that. But it's fear of switching, I would say, is the biggest one. Cool. Next question. Uh, the gentleman says, yes, I do have a question. When will we see more YouTube videos? I can only watch Taylor Swift's new single so many times. I need some new content. <laughs> well, you're the only one who would know when we see new uh, so, YouTube. Um, what are we aiming for? Twice a week yeah. is what um, is what we're expecting. And, you know, I'm kind of exploring the whole YouTube f- format. And I've had okay. a lot. of. So if you are interested, subscribe to Focus Compounding on YouTube. Okay. And um, we've kind of tossed around a couple ideas of, about maybe doing some sort of value investors course or something along okay. those lines. We don't not necessarily sure if we're going to pursue it. We may, um, but as of right now, I'm just doing like a mental models course on there and just yep. really just pick a mental model and just kind of talk about it. Um, so I think there's two videos up there now, and then um, I'm going to aim for two new videos a week. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to kind of keep it shorter. Yeah, and at least it was at first because I wanted to embed it in Twitter. I think they only allow you to have like two minutes or two minutes and 50 oh, seconds really? something like that okay. but um i just couldn't get it under that time frame so i just did oh, okay. it to youtube so maybe now i'll do more like two to five i'm not sure yet but uh, the goal is actually to pump out t- 
two a week and jeff's keeping me accountable so that's okay. where we're going two a week is is what we're aiming and for. we're expecting a lot on like mental models and stuff yeah mental models um different topics things i just really find interesting that i kind of want to just ramble on about and talk about but yeah as of right yeah, now it's just mental models that'd yeah. be good we don't cover a lot of that stuff on the um podcast yeah and i think it's just doing different formats mm-hmm. of content which is you know we're just ch- kind of exploring a bunch of different stuff and i've been recording it on my iphone and i have this little stand here that i hook up my iphone to and maybe i got to get a different camera but because i actually recorded a video the other day and it just wouldn't render in like hd so it just looked all weird but um but yeah two two a week is what you can expect from me and if you um want to follow us on youtube that's focused compounding but i'll also post it through twitter as well yeah okay cool next question i know jeff bought japanese net nets any other countries you are looking for those types of opportunities right now uh, not for net nets, no. I mean, there are other countries that have net nets, but I would say Japan is as good a place as any to look for net nets. I've heard some people say Korea is good. Uh, I don't think it's as easy sometimes for some investors to invest in Korea as it is in Japan. Um, I'm looking at lots of different countries, but generally not for net nets. Um, uh, we had someone on the podcast uh, who covers a lot of things in Japan, and if you're interested in Japan specifically, you should definitely go to his uh, website. Do you have that for them, though, what his website is? Um, I do not know. Okay. Um, but no, no, I'm, I'll post in the show <laughs> notes. Post in the show yeah, notes. Good. Go. Um, and then, uh, so, uh, Kenko, I can spell it for the movie. Yeah, go yeah, for K-E-N-K-Y-O it. K E N K Y O investing.com. There you go. Um, so, uh, but put in the show notes anyway, so they don't have to. Yeah. 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 Um, but that's a really good one. Cause that's someone who's, uh, speaks Japanese and English and is writing up things in English about Japanese companies. Um, but yeah, NetNets Japan is the best place. Japan just has a huge number of stocks and um, has had a very uh, long period of underperformance as an economy. So I would say if you're really interested in NetNets, make Japan the place that you focus on, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking at other countries and things. I think um, uh, some people know that I've been looking particularly at the UK a lot recently. Um, but it, I don't think that the whole Brexit thing has really caused that much of a decline in their stock market or anything. It's in the headlines all the time, but it hasn't caused necessarily enough to get me more interested in that but there are some uh companies there that are probably cheap because of some concerns about that how long did you hold your net nets for when you invested in them uh most only a couple years really two years average or something some were taken out within a year so i'm not even sure when you mean taken out what do you mean like acquired acquired two were acquired in the first year so that probably brings the average down below two years there were some i held longer than that but it's possible that the average wasn't even two years when you factor in those two Mm yeah because i only bought six so I mean, we could get into that in terms of the diversification. Um, I figured that six, uh, taking about 50%, it didn't, wasn't quite 50% of the portfolio, but close to 50% of the portfolio divided by six is enough diversification. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I don't know anything really about the companies other than the statistics. Yeah, so and in those cases, looking at all, the accounting and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, I mean, I had business descriptions in what industry they were in. But did uh, you were you sort of agnostic towards which industry you went to, or how did you no. think about that? No, I picked industries that I based on how those industries perform in the rest of the world. Yeah, so I picked industries that were the most predictable. That's all that I did. So if a company said it was uh, a wholesale, uh, uh, you know, a wholesale marketer of fish or something, I didn't buy it. And if it said that it was in um, like uh, paint or um, you know electrical engineering or something, I did buy it just because I know those from other in, uh, countries. Got it. What about and and the way you thought about it too was um, they had to be profitable, right? It'd have ten straight years of profits. Ten straight years, and that profits. included the financial crisis. Oh wow! Yeah, operating profits. They mm-hmm. couldn't be it couldn't be from their um, bond portfolio. Yeah, got it. And they had to be selling below net cash. 
hard to lose there, right? Yeah. No, none of them lost. Uh, I was going to say all, all six, profit. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 all yeah six, they all right? turned to profit. But, um, uh, yeah, and the portfolio did fine. And if you can find that, that's great. Um, there's less opportunity of that that I've seen in Japan lately, but there's still net nets in Japan. And mm-hmm. uh, you can still find them, and some are perfectly good. Um, you know, I won't I, – because uh, his, his website, uh, Kenko Investing, is um, behind a paywall and stuff. I won't talk about everything, but – there is uh, a company that's a big supplier tied in with a huge um, Japanese company that you know well and stuff, and it seems perfectly um, normal performer. Um, and it may not be, you know, a Buffett type business in terms of high returns on capital and things like that, but it's a pretty consistent earning uh, business and closely tied to a giant Japanese company you know well, and yet it basically can sell for being a net net, um, pays dividends and stuff like that. So there are things like that in Japan that you'll find. Um, it's more of a Ben Graham type approach. I would mm-hmm. imagine today sure. Ben Graham would be in Japan. Really? Yeah, it might be in some other countries too if you could. Yeah. You know, be in Korea and places like that, but definitely Japan. I would imagine of all of the countries out there, the one Graham would buy the most in is Japan. Yeah. Cool. Well, that is our last question for this episode. I want to thank everybody so much for asking those questions. Um, like I always do say, if you want to, if you have a question you want to get answered on the show, um, even if we may record a few weeks um, later than when you ask it, DM me on Twitter or just send me a message, whatever, or tweet to me or whatever. I always kind of compile them together and then we go over them on the show. Um, if you do want to reach out to Mr. Jeff Gannon, his mm-hmm. email is gannoninvesting at gmail.com and mine is info at focused compounding dot com join our mailing list follow me on twitter promote 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 right and on youtube right yeah our mailing list is uh stock write-ups that's what you get yeah. from yeah but if anything the one thing that will warm our hearts is if you go onto itunes the podcast app yeah. and rate and review that a lot of people have been doing that and that's Good. been helping us out like i always say it's how the algorithms <laughs> work so we really appreciate it we hope everybody has a great week we'll see you in the next podcast take care Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.